Chapter Twenty Eight of The Widow Married, a sequel to The Widow Barnaby by Francis Milton Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight A Slight and Rapid Sketch of Mr. Allen O'Donagough's Successful Schemes for Increasing His Acquaintance. The Heart of Patty Hardens Itself Towards Jack. The Hubert Family Return to Berkeley Square and Are Visited by Their Relations. More Old Friends we must not linger to watch every circumstance by which mr o'donagough was led or rather by which he led himself into precisely the position which he desired to fill in the motley mosaic of london society he kept his parisian model well in view and well too did he manage all the turnings and windings the sketchings and shadings necessary to the production of a perfect copy during the two years that general hubert's family remained abroad he and his lady between them had contrived to make a circle of acquaintance the most heterogeneous perhaps that ever met together in a london drawing-room which on the score of variety is saying a good deal for it more perhaps for the purpose of maintaining his influence over sir henry seymour by showing how easy it was for him to betray the foolish secret which the young man so pertinaciously desired to keep than for any particular wish for their society mr o'donagough had taken especial pains to make the acquaintance of sir edward and lady stephenson an ambitious project in which he was greatly assisted by the gentle lady stephenson's wish not to appear proud or repulsive to the near relations of her dear sister agnes the gay and wealthy frederick too and not a few more of an equally elevated station in society were frequently not displeased at finding card-tables and high stakes in a private drawing-room though he and they too might have felt considerable repugnance to having their names quoted as frequenters of gaming-clubs lord mucklebury and his free and easy son also not unfrequently amused themselves in the receiving-rooms of curzon street while sir henry seymour seeing the statements of o'donagough respecting his family connection with the huberts and stephenson so fully proved fell completely into the snare that was laid for him and little as he liked his society became the frequent guest of the man whose feelings of friendly good-will were so extremely important to him happy indeed did he often think himself at being able at the risk of losing his money perhaps but with the certainty of enjoying an excellent rubber to escape from the affectionate friendship of mrs o'donagough and the still more oppressive coquetries of her daughter a multitude of others whose names are of no importance to the narrative were also gradually added to the o'donagough list of acquaintance till by degrees their soirees became actually crowded while the quiet master of the mansion kept his station with great constancy in the small third room with his faithful foxcroft ever hovering near him but his partie de jeu varying as occasion required the great game he was playing at this time without referring to any particular stakes whether at whist or piquet was too important to permit any considerations of minor economy to interfere with it his rooms were splendidly lighted strong coffee excellent liqueurs and abundant ices were freely distributed and though mrs o'donagough in the ecstasy of finding herself so immensely important a personage did sometimes exceed both in dress and demeanour the ordinary bounds of sober elegance yet on the whole she was by no means an inefficient partner in the concern she was indefatigable in her efforts to increase her circle of acquaintance and what with her handsome house showy carriage magnificent dress and universally recognized aunt-ship to mrs general hubert these efforts were more successful than those who knew mrs o'donagough best would have deemed possible her watchful husband therefore was on the whole exceedingly well contented and still continued to think that his barnaby was as well qualified to fill the splendid station in which her good fortune had placed her as any lady he knew 
not that he was blind to the species of gratification enjoyed in her society by lord mucklebury his son and some others of the same stamp but as he perceived that many of those who came to laugh remained to play he understood what he was about too well to quarrel with any of them in this manner and with a degree of success which soon removed from his own mind every fear lest his bold project should fail mr o'donagough went on with a steady quiet unruffled exterior of respectability which very effectually concealed all that it was necessary for his interest should be hidden few or rather none of those who were not professionally interested in the fact were aware how deep were the stakes nightly played for in mr o'donagough's drawing-room for if it happened that some rich but luckless novice became a victim the lamented adventure was always made to appear as something purely accidental as to its extent and merely the consequence of the temporary excitement of the parties which really was very foolish and must not happen again such was the prosperous state of the o'donagough affairs when the interval destined to montague hubert's itinerant studies between school and college being over the general and his family returned to england sharp was the sparkle of mrs o'donagough's still unextinguished eye when as she sipped her coffee and luxuriantly enjoyed the columns of the morning post she came upon the following paragraph arrived at their mansion in berkeley square lieutenant-general hubert his lady and suite that's delightful she exclaimed i declare to heaven that i shall have almost everything i want and wish in the world if i do but get agnes and the general here only just to witness one of our best nights and that crooked back little aunt betsy too it is not very likely that she should see it but she'll hear of it donny won't she don't you enjoy the idea of it to tell you the truth my dear i do not care one single straw about it replied mr o'donagough a year or two ago indeed when our circumstances were different that is i mean before we were quite settled i certainly thought that it was important for patty's sake particularly that we should be on good terms with these huberts but now it surely can make no difference whatever and her presentation at st james you know is all settled already you may cry down my relations as much as you please replied his highly incensed lady but you are monstrously mistaken and that i can tell you sir if you fancy that the name of hubert is of no importance to us often and often when i have said not a word about it i have seen its effect i know not how it may be in your back drawing-room set mr allen o'donagough but this i do know that half if not all the very best people in my front one have been got at by means of their knowing that agnes was my niece and as to going to court you may depend upon it i shall not go notwithstanding all lady susan dearwell's kindness without taking care to know that mrs general hubert will be at the same drawing-room of course elizabeth will be presented this year and it will be extremely advantageous that the cousin should be presented at the same time it will read so well in the papers and it is so easy to get it in you know you are a clever creature my barnaby and i am not going to deny it said her husband with a complacent smile i only meant to observe that we have gone on very well during the last two years well thank god we have i am sure i am ready enough to acknowledge that but still if you please donny we will not cut the huberts by no means my dear i have no such intention quite the contrary indeed i would rather you should leave cards there than not it will be more civil this condescending assurance was quite sincere mr allen o'donagough really had no objection to his lady's visiting general hubert's family 
nevertheless it was equally true that he did not care one single straw about it on first setting off on the bold and ambitious course he was now pursuing he had seized with a masterly hand upon every object that could help his progress but now feeling himself completely afloat he rather feared impediment than he hoped for assistance from a too near contact with those around him and though not insensible to the eligibility of patty's having such cousins and his lady such a niece he was not at all desirous of admitting general hubert to any very close degree of intimacy such being the prosperous state of her papa it can hardly be doubted that the state of miss patty was prosperous too and to a certain degree it certainly was so she was dressed as smartly as she could possibly desire had carte blanche as to the invitations she might wish to give her friend matilda drove in an open barouche with her mamma in the park every sunday and in all fashionable streets during every other day and finally was permitted to flirt as much as she liked with anybody and everybody all this was very delightful yet patty was not quite contented nevertheless by degrees she brought herself to acknowledge that jack was neither more nor less than a good-for-nothing false-hearted fellow who had never intended really and truly to marry her and who in his heart cared more for playing whist than for anything else in the world all this she acknowledged to matilda though to both mother and father she still persisted that she had been engaged to him quite entirely engaged to him but that she did not much care whether it came to anything or not of this statement her papa did not believe a single word though he never for a moment hinted his incredulity either to herself or any one else what mrs o'donagough's opinion on the subject might have been it was not so easy to say because on some occasions she did not scruple to declare as in the case of lord mucklebury that she believed the engagement was still going on though patty was such a coquettish young thing that she should not be at all surprised if she turned round and changed her mind any day while to others particularly to all young men of rank or fortune she stated confidentially that such an engagement had existed but it was clear to her that her dear girl began to doubt her own feelings on the subject in which case nothing on earth would ever induce her or her beloved mr o d to utter a word that might influence her for excellent as the connection was they were quite determined on this and every other occasion to let their only darling consult her own pure heart and nothing else in the midst of all this contradictory variety patty while endeavouring to look mysterious to both father and mother and saying little on the subject to either took to hating jack in her very heart of hearts most thoroughly and sincerely and she would have gone very considerable lengths as she confessed to her friend to plague him as he deserved a feeling in no degree less hostile had also very naturally supplied in the breast of the tender matilda the place of all other sentiments towards mr foxcroft and it is probable that nothing but their wholesome fear of mr o'donagough kept either fair one within the bounds of moderate rudeness whenever their faithless swains approached them nevertheless patty had her flirtations and miss matilda did her very best to have hers too so that there was not wanting between them a constant fund of confidential secrets which nourished and sustained their friendship in all its pristine warmth and purity having ascertained the affronting indifference of her husband respecting general and mrs hubert mrs o'donagough called him not again to her counsels respecting them but quietly settled in her own mind how to indulge herself by fully displaying to them and to all their daughters and sons the spectacle of her greatness amongst other simulations of fashionable manners adopted by the prosperous adventurer and his family was their ignorance and independence of each other's occupations and engagements before dinner mrs o'donagough was blessed by having at her command one of the most showy carriages in london 
arms embellished by a prodigious number of splendid quarterings adorned the panels the hammer-cloth hung stiff with embroidery of the same blinds of crimson silk aided the glowing complexions within and tags tassels and silver lace decorated those without let those who best know mrs o'donagough judge what her feelings were in driving to the door of mrs hubert in such an equipage as this with care and skill she chose that hour for her visit at which ladies are most certainly visible at home namely the interval between the two o'clock luncheon and the three o'clock sortie for shopping mrs o'donagough watched with some emotion the colloquy between the servants at the door but all her doubts and fears were speedily put to the rout by the throwing wide the door of her carriage and the presentation of the arm that was to assist in her descent from it you will sit in the carriage and wait for us my dears said the swelling lady with condescending dignity to the two miss perkinses who occupied the back of the carriage oh yes ma'am we shall be quite amused i'm sure returned miss matilda pray do not think of us meekly ejaculated her sister no 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 of course not my dear you will do very well i dare say take care about drawing up and down the windows what do you poke that beautifully laced pocket-handkerchief into your bag for patty i did not buy it for that i promise you and that's true and no lie said patty winking at her friend as she prepared in her usual style to precipitate herself out of the carriage after her mamma but at the same time obeying the maternal behest and drawing forth the handkerchief with a flourish that sent it into the eyes of the simpering louisa there were several persons in mrs hubert's drawing-room when mrs and miss o'donagough were ushered into it at a small table apart near a window sat two very lovely girls each occupied before a little desk one copying a page of m s music and the other drawing behind the chair of the latter stood a tall and graceful young man whose head was bent forward as in the act of criticising the performance he started as the servant distinctly pronounced the words mrs and miss o'donagough but did not immediately look up on a sofa near a loo table at the upper end of the room sat mrs hubert and beside her an elegant-looking little woman apparently some few years older than herself but whose black eyes neatly cut little features and fine teeth still gave her a right to be called a pretty woman in a deep chair on the opposite side of the table another lady about the same age perhaps but infinitely less well-looking employed herself by incessantly twitching a green ribbon which being attached to the collar of a poodle lap-dog occasioned from time to time a sharp little bark that seemed to delight her mrs o'donagough had observed a carriage waiting at the door and the dress of these last-mentioned ladies showed that it was for them it waited and that they too were morning visitors if satin feathers and a profusion of the finest lace could have made mrs o'donagough look elegant she would have looked elegant then for she was dressed like a duchess nor was her daughter patty much less splendid and even had their names been unknown to all the party their appearance was altogether such as imperiously to have commanded attention but their names were not unknown to any individual present there it is possible that mrs hubert was not particularly delighted by this early visit from her remarkable aunt but most certainly she felt considerable consolation from perceiving that her manners though affectionately familiar were less vehemently caressing than formerly in fact mrs o'donagough felt and thanked god for the same that there was no longer any occasion for it besides it was impossible to press anybody to her heart now without risking the injury of her exquisite toilette so she only stretched out one arm as she advanced saying with a good deal of her most elegant lisp how do agnes dear what an age isn't it 
you would hardly know patty would you how are the children mrs hubert stepped forward and received the large offered hand very gracefully giving a smiling answer to each question patty followed after her and notwithstanding her anti-hubert prejudices stretched out her hand too which was also received by mrs hubert with a smile while she turned her head towards the two young ladies at the window saying here is your cousin martha my dear elizabeth thus called upon a tall slight lovely girl rose from the place she occupied laid her pencil on her desk and came forward my goodness are you elizabeth exclaimed patty really too much engaged by staring at her to perceive her offered hand well i'm sure i should never have known you again i wonder if i'm as much altered as you i do not think you are at all altered replied elizabeth sitting down beside her but you are looking very well yes i am always very well and you know i have always got a fresh colour replied patty who was frequently apt to suspect when people told her she looked well that they might perhaps be thinking she had helped herself to a little of her mamma's rouge hardly anybody has got as much colour as i have i am sure i often wish i hadn't so much people stare so but my goodness is that emily oh no emily still looks quite like a little girl that is miss seymour as she said this the tall young man stood upright and stepping forward extended a hand to mrs o'donagough while at the same time he paid his compliments to her daughter by inquiring very civilly after her health so you are here are you sir henry how do you do said mrs o'donagough thrusting a hand towards the young man over her shoulder and throwing her plumed head on one side with a sort of lolloping affectation that was intended to indicate great intimacy i hope mr o'donagough is quite well ma'am said the young baronet with a considerable augmentation of colour quite well dear seymour replied the great lady i hope we shall see you to-night how late we kept it up tuesday didn't we but lord mucklebury is always so delightful while this was passing the lady seated on the sofa by mrs hubert looked and listened with great appearance of interest and amusement but said nothing at length agnes who had been watching her with a laughing countenance addressed mrs o'donagough you do not remember these ladies aunt and as she spoke she pointed to both her bonneted visitors remember them no really have i ever met them before i live in such a round of company that upon my honour it is perfectly impossible to remember one face from another you must excuse me ladies if i have the honour of your acquaintance but i have not the slightest recollection of you my name is henderson said the lady on the sofa but formerly it was mary peters mary peters ejaculated the energetic mrs o'donagough almost with a shriek mary peters my own dear first husband's own niece gracious heaven well to be sure this is a most extraordinary discovery and this turning to the plain-looking middle-aged mistress of the lap-dog this must be yes to be sure this must be elizabeth very true indeed i certainly am elizabeth replied the lady she addressed but i am sure i do not wonder at your not knowing me at first for i had not the least notion who you was i never saw anybody grown so large in my life you are so dreadfully thin yourself my dear that i have no doubt i do look rather large to you then turning her back in rather a marked manner to her former ally she addressed an almost interminable string of questions to her sister and so you are married mary are you well that's well i can't say i am any great friend to old maidism it spoils people's tempers i have had three god bless me 
i mean i have had two husbands both first-rate quite first-rate men in their way and i can't say i think i should have had the fine temper that i believe everybody allows i have got if i had remained single all my life however perhaps it is not quite civil to say so just now are neither of your sisters married my dear mary oh yes lucy has been married many years and has a very large family poor thing said mrs o'donagough with a deep sigh then i do pity her there certainly is nothing so pitiable as having a large family is it worse than being an old maid said miss elizabeth peters with a sneer no my dear replied mrs o'donagough turning sharply round upon her nothing of course can be so bad as that and how is your mother mary and your father and james i dare say he is married isn't he yes ma'am he is married also and what sort of style are you living in comfortable i hope we must not mind your being a little humdrum if you are comfortable but let that be as it may you must come and see me i think my drawing-rooms will please you but dear me how everything depends upon comparison i remember as well as if it was but yesterday thinking your drawing-rooms in rodney place quite beautiful but when you come to see mine my dear you won't expect me to think so any longer in fact my dear mr o'donagough has so very superior a taste that i must not talk of comparing what he orders to anything else i really want you to see my new carriage agnes it will strike you i think as something quite out of the common way mrs hubert smiled and bowed and looked at sir henry seymour and then at her lovely daughter as if to consult them both as to what her aunt was talking about being herself quite at a loss to decide whether she were in jest or earnest but she did not venture to speak for fear of making some blunder and mrs o'donagough increasing every moment in the delightful consciousness of causing unbounded astonishment began again and pray agnes dear who is that she said nodding her plumes in the direction of miss seymour it is not one of frederick stephenson's girls is it that young lady is miss seymour replied mrs hubert gravely a sister of yours my dear sir henry eh pray introduce her i shall be quite delighted caroline seymour who was several years younger than her brother and one of the most timid creatures that ever existed started up the moment these words were spoken and before her brother could perform the ceremony demanded of him was already though trembling and covered with blushes close to mrs o'donagough and extending her hand with an air that gave her the appearance of being eagerly impatient to make the acquaintance mrs hubert looked at her with astonishment while elizabeth hubert not too well knowing what she herself intended rose also and seizing the other hand of her young friend endeavoured to draw her away convinced that she was acting under some delusion and that she fancied mrs o'donagough had some claim upon her acquaintance which it was necessary she should acknowledge elizabeth hubert was partly right poor caroline knew that the terrible-looking woman before whom she stood and trembled had a claim upon her acquaintance which led her hated ever so much she would have acknowledged in church or market in court or city in public or in private clinging to her brother as her protector and only relative loving him beyond all things and knowing herself all childish as she was to be his only confidant and adviser in the unfortunate secret to the preservation of which he attached so much importance she would have knelt at the feet of mrs o'donagough rather than offend her for she knew but too well that this secret was in her keeping 
mrs o'donagough herself looked rather astonished and though in her present mood she would hardly have felt a salutation from royalty itself more than she had a right to expect she nevertheless had some consciousness that this peculiar eagerness to make her acquaintance must have a peculiar cause which however she was at no loss to find for after a moment's consideration she became persuaded that her shy but still enamoured brother must have enjoined it a very nice sweet-looking girl indeed sir henry said mrs o'donagough continuing to hold caroline's hand as in a vice and looking up in her face with a leer of playful protection you may bring her to us whenever you will sir henry patty who as you well know is the sweetest tempered creature in the world will be quite delighted to take notice of her and she will soon teach her not to be so terribly shy upon my honour the dear girl trembles like an aspen leaf you must not be afraid of us my dear your brother sir henry you know is a very old friend of ours he and patty you know are great cronies there come don't quiver and quake so as if you were talking to some proud stiff old empress ask your brother if we ever stand upon ceremony with him no no all that is nonsense my dear let my style and station be what they may i shall never hold myself above taking notice of warm-hearted affectionate young people who are fond of us and that i am quite sure you will be as well as your brother henry patty make room for this dear girl on that great three-cornered chair that you have put yourself into nothing like close quarters for making intimate acquaintance thus commanded patty did collect her flowing gros de naples a little and miss seymour placed her shrinking delicate figure beside that of the bouncing beauty but patty suddenly catching the expression of sir henry's countenance which certainly spoke anything but pleasure at the position of his sister remembered all her injuries at once and very decidedly shouldering the new friend her mother had bestowed on her exclaimed lor mamma i wonder you didn't tell her to sit in my lap caroline said sir henry in a voice neither clear nor sweet i beg that you will not inconvenience miss o'donagough place yourself here if you please and he pushed a chair towards her as he spoke the timid girl immediately took possession of it and considering that notwithstanding her mimosa-like shyness she had always been accounted peculiarly graceful in her demeanour she certainly looked more awkward and abashed than was at all intelligible mrs o'donagough laughed sir henry is right patty isn't he said she he wouldn't mind it himself perhaps but i suppose he thinks young ladies dresses may in degree whatever they do themselves it did look a little like what we call riding jollyfont in my country two ladies upon one horse you know and the men never approve of that but come patty upon my honour and life we mustn't be staying any longer what will lady susan say if we don't keep our appointment with her good-bye agnes good-bye elizabeth be sure you come to see me mary what's your name henderson well i shall be very glad to see you of course when a woman marries again the relations of her first husband can't be quite so near and dear to her as a child by the second but notwithstanding that i'll promise to make you welcome and my old friend elizabeth here too though she does look a little as if she could not forgive my saying she was thin and quizzing her about being an old maid forget and forgive elizabeth you and i used to be monstrous thick you know and so we will again if you'll come and tell me lots of clifton gossip as you used to do good-bye you dear little seymour you she is the very picture of her brother and he is such a pet with us all good-bye sir henry don't come down there is nobody puts me into my carriage like my own footman 
with these words and a sort of circular nod she swam out of the room and patty with another nod rather less circular and infinitely less gracious bounced after her though not it may be observed without mrs hubert's allowing to herself that though as vulgar as ever the young lady had decidedly grown extremely handsome End of chapter twenty eight